0: that the boneyard match was the best thing on night one so what i want to do is i want to start with the positives of night one and then we can get into some negatives because uh tom of course who's uh who's joining us here on the show um which by the way we'll let you we'll let you prop up your show and everything you do here at, at some point we just have to pick a good point to do that and again thank you for joining us on the show um we'll start with positives of night one Uh, Tom was a big fan of night one. I thought night two was better. I don't want to speak for Jorge. I'll let Jorge say what he thinks. Um, But Tom, what about night one? Like, what about night one did you you really like? Was there a particular match that really got you engaged? Um, Was there something that happened on night one that put it over the top besides the main event? Like, what about night one was a big positive for you? So Jorge mentioned uh, working stiff
1: so i thought from brian on it felt very hard hitting so daniel Bryan, Sami zane start very slow didn't last that long but those guys were they're putting the licks in uh rollins and owens great match uh silly finish come on back we're going no dq owens sells out off the top of the sign loved it uh, And the ladder match, I I love, too. I mean, you have three guys who are not quite in their primes, but they're very close to their primes, and they're all very good performers, uh, selling out for a show with nobody in the stadium. And that's just kind of the pros that they are. And that's honestly the reason you re-sign John Morrison, because he can do things other guys cannot do, and he's willing to do them. So hats off to to him, Kofi, and... uh, whichever it was, it was it
2: was jimmy Uso. jimmy
1: that worked yeah, yeah. jimmy mm-hmm. yeah it was, i have an um, inter- i have jimmy interesting man,
2: tidbit I mean, of information
1: take those bumps yeah. for no pop for nothing good for them man that's that's tough stuff um and then of course the ending which we're going to get to but it, all the bitter feelings i had with a certain match with a certain old man who i did like and i wasn't marked for for some time all those bitter feelings were washed away. So anything, any reservations I had about night one, I left on a high, so I forgot all about it. Jorge, what were your thoughts on night
0: one? Did you like night one better than night two? Um, I know know you're gonna wanna talk about Owens and Rollins because I think it was your favorite thing other than the Boneyard match, but let me not speak for you because you are my co-host. I love you,
2: so please talk. Love you too, brother. You know, I thought Night 1 was so good. And what it did was it gave me even higher hopes of what Night 2 could be able to bring us. Which, by the way, Night 2 did ended up not disappointing. Um, but I'm going to say that... I thought Night 1 from an entertainment aspect was better than Night 2. But from a wrestling standpoint, Night 2 was probably better. Um... I thought that besides the Boneyard match, which obviously I think universally is being praised at this point, it really was truly something special. Uh, you pointed out, Ross, that one of my favorite matches is KO and Rollins, and I'm going to 100% agree because it was one of my favorite matches, but I really do have a strong um, liking to the latter match. I thought the ladder match was so exceptionally well done. My analysis to that was two days ago, three days ago, I would have, or two days prior to WrestleMania, excuse me, not two days ago now, but two days prior to WrestleMania, I would have told you it doesn't matter if they use Jimmy or Jay, they're both going to be good. And then for whatever reason, I had to go onto Wikipedia to go ahead and look up something. And I was looking up something about the Usos. And I came to the, to the, to the point that I realized that Jimmy Uso, who was in the match, is actually 35 pounds or maybe 30 pounds lighter than Jay. Um, And for two guys who were um identical twins that's that's a pretty big size difference between the two and there's about a maybe a two inch size difference between them as well i bring this up because even though i'm sure jay would have been perfectly fine with a guy who he's worked with a million times with in kofi kingston and another guy who can just work well with anybody in john morrison i thought jimmy was the right call and that was after watching it and after and me watching this knowing the fact of what I had learned previous it made me appreciate what Jimmy Uso was doing in the ring with Kofi and with Morrison Jimmy Uso had to go ahead and do something in particular that he's usually not having to do and that was actually play the big man in this ladder match where you see John Morrison being the high flyer and Kofi Kingston being his typical high flyer. Uso was the power guy for this match and one thing that we can never ever ever take advantage of or take for granted is the insane chemistry that exists between the members of the New Day and and the members of the Uso and the no crowd aspect really allowed to for us to see the intertwinings of maybe things that we don't always get a chance to hear smack talk wise. I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that I thoroughly loved of of the ladder match was the amount of smack that you could hear spewing out of Jimmy Uso's mouth towards Kofi and towards Morrison. And it was so exceptionally well done. That being said, it allowed me to get more involved in the ladder match, even though there was no crowd to pop but I don't know about you guys. It was so good and it was so well done that it allowed me to pop the same way at home. So that was a really good thing for me to take away from. Um, also, another thing that it, that obviously I think most fans of WWE this at this point are very happy of is a beautiful takeaway was the fact that braun Strowman now has a world title added to his resume which i mean let's be honest let's be real here uh, it, it was a long time coming they should have done it a year and a half ago in saudi arabia they didn't pull the trigger then i'm glad they pulled the trigger now um and that just made me really happy for not only Strowman. it also made me shed a tear for my big brother ross who i knew was I, listen, Ross doesn't cry a lot, ladies and gentlemen. Ross cried twice in, in, a, in a weekend. It doesn't happen very often. I
0: got misty. <laughs> I got misty. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Ross
2: now, isn't that I, emotional I, I of a man.
0: Will, I, will, I will surprise you guys and maybe this audience uh, with telling you that... Um, Replacing Roman Reigns because of the because of his health situation with what is going on in the world um, was was a tough blow um, for wrestling fans. Uh, you know, say what you want about Roman Reigns, about how he's been quote unquote shoved down our throats and over pushed, and he's not the babyface the company wants because he gets food and all. This. Say everything you want, okay? The guy's coming back from leukemia. The guy's coming back from nearly dying and he's been booked pretty differently this past year than he's ever been booked whether it was with the massively successful stable known as the shield or as a singles competitor where he was basically the main event guy year after year especially WrestleMania, what did he wrestled four Wrestlemania main events in a row or something like that uh, yes. whatever it was mm-hmm. okay it was four it was a total, total guess and I was right so there you go and Jorge backed it up so So now I feel even better. Um, When they announced that it was going to be Braun Strowman replacing Roman Reigns to face Goldberg um, for the title, I got very excited because I I said to myself, you know, I realize that Goldberg can't really wrestle. I know it's not going to be anything special, but damn it, this is a guy that I remember when he first debuted with the Wyatt family and everybody said, who are you? Who are you? Because it was just another big guy with a beard hanging out in Bray Wyatt's crew. At no point, at no point, did anybody on that day say, that guy is gonna be a world champion and is gonna be taken seriously as one of the best big men in all of wrestling. Let me tell you something, all that guy has done with the exception of piss off Brock Lesnar and apparently be buried for like a year and a half after that, which say what you want about that. And all the backstage stuff, which I'm not defending all of it. What I'm saying is anything you put this guy in the ring to do, he does. You have him wrestle a small guy, he does it. You have him wrestle the big show, he kips up in the middle of the match and makes himself look like a million bucks. You have him in an awesome feud with Roman Reigns, they have awesome chemistry put him in a tag team or a group with Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre or in amongst anything else he's ever done, he's done it really well. He even dove off the top rope and hit an awesome move and didn't even win the match for God's sake. And now this was his chance to be a world champion because they had put themselves in a corner, where goldberg was another transition champion again say what you want about him taking the belt and roman's not there so it's either you roll the dice and you have goldberg for another month or you finally push the guy that probably should have been pushed a year and a half ago when he was even hotter than he is now and they made the right move and i've been begging and pleading and crying and cheering for them for this company to push Braun Strowman immediately and just see what he can do as the guy. And you know what? It didn't have to be a special match. Goldberg hit him with a couple spears. Braun Strowman hit him with one of the more believable finishers in WWE. I've always praised Mark I've always praised Mark Henry's uh, finisher as one of the most believable things ever with the World's Strongest Slam because it's a guy picking you up and just slamming you down to the ground with all of his weight on top of you. You know what braun strowman does he puts you on his shoulder and does a running power slam with all of his weight behind you it's one of the most believable things in wrestling in in something that's totally scripted so for braun strowman to have the belt i don't even care if he has the belt for a month i mean i hope it's much longer i don't even care now he can say he's a world champion he's getting the ball and it made me cheer i jumped up and down i was so happy for the guy who just seems like he loves everything he does and now he gets to call himself a world champion and it set me up for the best thing that happened on night one which we are now jumping into and that's the boneyard match now i'll tell you this right now i joked that i had absolutely no idea what match this was i don't think anybody had any real idea what this was i know there were lots of jokes about this being the next reincarnation of the sting vampiro graveyard match from wcw 2000 yes that's my one reference for this show and that we had no idea really what to expect it was pre-taped it was the undertaker the last thing we saw undertaker do was wrestle that horrendous match in saudi arabia against goldberg against In my opinion, the best wrestler on the planet in something that was going to be edited and more of like, actually, we didn't know what it was going to be because it wasn't going to be a live match.
2: Can I make one correction to you, Ross? Uh, The last time we saw The Undertaker was actually at Extreme Rules in that really, really good no holds barred tag team match with Roman Reigns against Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. Yeah, I'm
0: not going to lie. I don't even remember that because the Saudi Arabia match was so bad that I glossed over everything else. Fair,
2: fair, fair. So I understand
0: what you're saying, but to me, that's the last thing I remember about The Undertaker, and you make a valid point that he's already had another match since then. That's how ingrained and how terrible that Saudi Arabia thing was until this match. Now, this was essentially a movie, if we can put it very bluntly. It was The Undertaker against, in my opinion, the best wrestler on the planet, AJ Styles. From the very moment that the music started, that the hearse drove up, that Taker came in on his bike, to the trash talking, to the intimate setting, to Taker getting superpowers at one point, to him casually beating up 10 guys and then seven of them just disappearing, to the ebbs and flows of the match, to the editing, to the little nuances we got here and there from both real guys, Mark Calloway and AJ Styles, of course, you know, Alan Jones, which by the way, they were using, well, at least uh, The Undertaker also cut himself. I don't know if that was planned, but they just left it in. So, gentlemen, what we got was something i don't think i'm ever gonna forget to be perfectly honest with you and if this is the last thing undertaker ever does which i don't think it is but if it's the last thing he ever does boy howdy what a way to go out
2: 100 percent agree i'm gonna let tom take this one because he is our resident movie expert the man does a podcast on movies and i mean the man is immersed with oscars and all that good stuff so please mr wizard
0: by the way uh, before you start tom please rep yourself and your and your podcast and everything that you do because you do have a really good uh, you do have a really good program and a really good product so please rep yourself on this show uh so uh podcast is hops and box
1: office flops you can find it on twitter and facebook at hops and mail flops Myself on Twitter at writer Uh Right now, we're doing some quarantine specials, i.e., uh, movies that basically got screwed over by the pandemic. Much like, you know, for example, Bloodshot was in theaters for all of three days, so we did Bloodshot. I enjoyed that movie for what it was. Uh, we did Birds of Prey, uh, which didn't really get screwed over by the pandemic, but because of the pandemic, they said, Hey, let's throw this out on VOD now. And we're doing Onward, which was another movie that suffered pretty heavily because of that. Uh, So, you know, join us. We talk about bad movies. And if anybody knows about bad movies, it's WWE Studios. This was the single best movie that WWE Studios has ever produced. Uh, Coincidentally, the hype behind AJ Undertaker was also the best buildup they had for WrestleMania. Brock and and Drew was pretty good, too. There was some of the pretty good stuff, but AJ attacking him personally as an old, broken-down has-been who only answers to his wife and didn't have it anymore. It was brilliant. AJ showing up in the caskets, brilliant. And here comes the American badass Undertaker. Uh, I'm a sucker for sort of overly produced wrestling stuff. Like, I remember back in the day, Hogan and... The giant having like a, a monster truck face off where the giant oh my gosh. thrown off the top of the belly. <laughs> uh, and one of my all-time favorite WrestleMania matches is the Hollywood Backlot Brawl with Roddy Piper and Gold Dust. Where basically Roddy Piper, who could have been drunk at the time, just beat the heck out of Gold Dust with a bat and all manner of things. And it was awesome. They also interspliced O.J. Simpson chase footage which was weird for WWE, but this was very well done. It just was like you were enthralled by the lunacy of this match and AJ going all out after him. Now, to me, it was the perfect booking because you could tell Taker was, he's compromised physically. He was moving around a little gingerly, but he moved around well enough to sell what they were doing of course the club comes in you've got that moment you've got the sheep metal coming down he beats up all of these minions it was just perfect you know and him rising up behind aj and oh, i'm gonna bury the taker all of a sudden he's not in the grave it's, you can't ask for more than that so I, I was all in on it i was thrilled
2: i had no idea what to expect guys um The last two weeks of promos for this match really brought me in, because a couple weeks prior I would've told you, nah, I'm not 100% sure that they're going about this right. And to be honest, to be 100% fair, there were two matches in particular at this WrestleMania that really benefited from not having a crowd. One was the Boneyard match between Undertaker and AJ Styles, and obviously the second one was the Firefly Funhouse between John Cena and Bray Wyatt. Um th- That being said, I think John Cena and Bray Wyatt probably still would have succeeded in a regular sort of match. Um, had they pulled this off in front of a live crowd, I don't think the live crowd would have been as appreciative as um, watching it from home per se. Um but the Boneyard match, had they given us like a regular no holds barred match between AJ Styles and The Undertaker, it would have been okay. You know, t- um, Styles would have gone ahead and led him to the best match he possibly could, but it would have been compromised in a lot of capacities. And I don't think that the live crowd would have been as receptive as they should have been. That's why, to me, this Boneyard match making, and Ross and I talked about this at length, that if they were going to make these two matches work for the way that they were putting on Wrestlemania this year you had to give it some sort of cinematic feel you had to go ahead and basically give us a really cool fight sequence in like the matrix where you would remember that these guys are essentially really really good stump performers that can act much better than a regular stump performer can and know how to tell some type of story. And that is exactly what you get when you've got a guy who's basically been doing this thing for 30 years and playing the best character professional wrestling has ever seen um, for that long and then you've got this other guy who's essentially I mean, there is no argument. I understand that there are a lot of Kenny Omega and a lot of Okada fans out there, but AJ Styles is so well rounded. Like let me t- let me tell you something. I don't think Okada could have pulled off, pulled this off and I really don't think that as much as appreciation that I have for Kenny Omega, I don't think he could have quite pulled this off. and AJ Styles could and not only could he, he did with without a shadow of a doubt and there's something that i i I had the pleasure of uh, and i'm not trying to pat myself on the back but i am going to rep the hell out of this podcast which is ours but i had the pleasure of repping ross and myself by going on with our buddies at through the table earlier this week for their mania part one review that they did and i told them this and i told ross the same thing and tom i may have even told you this over text message that this seriously needs to be considered for a for an Emmy it, it really does um, the storytelling that was told by the Undertaker and AJ Styles at the production and the editing and the sequences that was all this was essentially a 25 minute and a half short film um and it was so well done it was a, it, it's like if I would have gone to the movie theater and I would have saw a seen a pretty decent PG-13 rated action film I really thoroughly enjoyed it that much, and I can't give it any more praise. I'm not going to say it was perfect, but you can't judge it by your typical professional wrestling standards. Like, you can't judge it like the way you would Undertaker and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25. You have to judge it in a completely different manner, and by the looks of it, I'm going to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was thoroughly well done, and the thing that has not been mentioned on this show that we are recording at this moment is aj styles main event at wrestlemania congratulations to the best wrestler on the planet for doing something that not a lot of people will ever get the opportunity to do
0: so i remember corey and i were talking about this and we both came to the conclusion because again as i stated before we had no idea what matches were gonna go on which night. So we really had no idea who was starting which night, who was ending which night, where the lineup was gonna go, which was unique in its kind of coolness, but also very much frustration because I was like, I need to know what's going on so I can anticipate certain things. I remember Jorge and I saying the exact thing almost at the exact same time. We thought AJ, wrestling Undertaker at WrestleMania, was a demotion for him and the reason we both came to that conclusion was he's not in a world title picture undertaker and again i understand that i totally glossed over him having a tag match but the undertaker is not what he was and to be perfectly honest with you wrestling undertaker at wrestlemania has lost its luster when it comes to him losing at 30 to brock lesnar and that crazy moment or him having the moment where he left all his gear in the ring after losing to roman reigns like it's not the allure for the most part of wrestling the undertaker at wrestlemania is gone they're never getting that back however to piggyback off of what you two just said because i'm not trying to be negative about this match this thing was awesome okay i had absolutely no expectations because i had no idea what it was which normally when i have no expectations of a match i tend to enjoy it more and so again as i as i preface before we got into it i loved the music even though i heard a bunch of people like oh we didn't need the music you know what we did because it was already a movie we were already setting people up for this just again the little nuances of all the trash talking and interjecting the fact that yes it's a scripted fight but These two were fighting like they were, you know, really fighting for something. I felt the reality of the situation in a place where three quarters of the way through the match, Undertaker got superpowers, which I totally marked out for because, again, in this type of setting, I'm totally fine with the Undertaker having superpowers in a barn out in the middle of nowhere where he's wrestling AJ Styles or fighting AJ Styles. It was over the top. It was entertaining. It was one of the more wrestling wrestling things WWE has ever done. It was an enormous risk to take. It's your biggest show of the year. There are no fans. It's pre-produced. This could have been one of the biggest... Like This could have gone off as one of the biggest disasters WWE has ever done. And we'd be talking about this... For decades, about what a mistake this could have been. And you know what they did instead? They just said, you know what? We're going to be so different. And we have so much faith in these two guys. And of course, you know, the club and all the other people that were there and all the production and the lighting and the setting and everything were perfect. WWE is great about their production and putting together packages, putting together all this stuff. I'm here to tell you right now if they never do this type of thing again, Bravo to them for doing such a great job with this and the Firefly Funhouse. If this is something they can experiment with once a year, once every five years, when it it dictates a certain situation, now they know that if you put the right pieces together, have enough time, have a good enough buildup, this will work. So, night one, I know we didn't talk about everything, but, oh, go ahead. It looks like it looks like you wanted to jump in on
2: something or I, I did brother because i wanted to go ahead and mention i don't we we, we lost over this fact i don't know if you guys knew this but it actually took wwe taker and aj styles eight hours to film this match so to condense eight hours into a 19 minute match essentially first of all deserves all the credit in the world to them um which again we talked about it being a 25 and a half minute film you know with with the entrance of the undertaker and with the entrance of aj styles through the hearse which by the way i thought that that was going to be undertaker so when you actually saw that it was aj styles popping out of the coffin you were like oh oh, this is great this is fantastic i thoroughly thoroughly marked out for that and the it you talk about them doing it once every year, maybe every five years, and then getting the opportunity to do it right, Ross. It's not just that, but I think that you, if you're going to let someone do it, first of all, you have to have the right people doing it. And then if you're going to have the right people doing it, you have to ensure that you've got to let the people that are participating in this match dictate how it's going to go. Um, what I mean by that is of course Undertaker would go ahead and develop some type of superpowers because that's how his character has been booked over the last 30 years right? So I'm not trying to get too far ahead of myself in talking about the Firefly Funhouse but the Firefly Funhouse match was produced by Bray Wyatt bruce pritchard and then major major ideas also being given by john cena why did that match work so well because it's the things that john cena has probably wanted to do for the last 15 years that vince mcmahon has said no and then this is probably him saying listen now you've got um what three major Hollywood films under your belt one of them being Bumblebee and then you've got fast nine under your belt and you've probably now had a lot more experience outside of WWE that I could go ahead and say the creative juices are really flowing that he was able to not saying that he should have never trusted John Cena in the first place but John Cena is a very good mind for the wrestling business if he's considered one of the goats right so for him to have be given that opportunity finally it was able to produce something so beautiful and so well done. And the same thing goes for the Boneyard match. And I just wanted to go ahead and make sure to get that across. Tom wants to jump in because I know he's got fabulous, more fabulous thoughts about this. I will say this. AJ's greatness is, is defined
1: by the fact that he can adjust his wrestling style no matter the situation or opponent. And they took something and they they did something with it that was very unexpected. And I'll tell you this, you just don't put Undertaker in an empty arena and have him be a shell of himself. They did this very well. I think if if you would have done it any other way and you don't put uh, this sort of thought and production into it, it could have been a disaster and it's a waste of the Undertaker. So, good on them because I'm very critical of the way they book things a lot of the time and they did this one right I mean they, they did the Cena thing right too I have my issues with that match um, but all my issues with it really are out of their, their hands so uh, right. it's uh, yeah it, it, you, you couldn't ask for a better result and it's something people are never going to forget this, this tanker, uh styles match and i hope you know it leads to a real match with a crowd at some point and he can and i guarantee he'll give taker the best match he's had you know since he lost to lesnar because i'm with you uh ross it's the mystique of the taker the quality of the taker matches plummeted not long after the streak was broken and it's been kind of hard to watch in a lot of respects. And Saturday, of course, was the tipping point. Of, this has to stop probably before somebody dies. And that's because Goldberg was involved, too. Because if we we're going to talk about the most disappointing things, I could live the rest of my life and never have them pull the Goldberg card again. I'm done with it. I'm just done with it. And I liked Goldberg, but I'm done with it.
2: Well, let me actually to hop yeah, on probably. that really quick. Um gentlemen we, we talked about the positives of night one can we agree that the two biggest mistakes of the entire weekend happen on night one can we agree on that probably in saying that Shayna Baszler and Becky were not given anywhere near enough time and not to mention it was the right it was the wrong result and two even though we're really happy that Strowman is now champion Goldberg should have probably never been in that position to begin with
1: yeah i will say this to think that they were going to force reigns who has a compromised immune system to participate in that farce and then granted he would have won but like hey show up and have this ridiculously terrible match that people will never stop making like put your health in jeopardy for five minutes of three three spears apiece and you win it's like what were they thinking and I know, like we talked about it earlier offline, about you know Goldberg basically forced their hand on this. But gosh, if you're gonna if you're gonna pull the, I don't want to hurt my character card. You got to show up for WrestleMania. You got to sell out. I know you're 53, but you know what? I've seen a lot of 53 year old guys sell out. Uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, for example, uh, WrestleMania whatever number that was. Hulk
2: Hogan at WrestleMania 18.
1: An insane match hulk hogan many times over rick flair and his farewell match Like, you know they're smaller guys than goldberg but guess what being a power wrestler is easier than being a smaller wrestler you inherently now, take less risky bouts
0: now let's be fair i mean we just mentioned rick flair hulk hogan and ricky the dragon steamboat three of the greatest performers in wrestling history yeah goldberg is nowhere near that level now i understand the point you're making but Um, And by the way, we're joined by uh, Tom, the thunderous wizard from box or from hops and box office flops joining us once again, the second time he's been on with us uh, on this show. So again, really thankful that he is with us. So we, so we did talk about the positives. We are getting into the negatives of this show. Um, Jorge, just some of the negative things that happened on the show. Um, I know we're going to have a difference of opinion on certainly let's just. I'm just I'm just going to start with piggybacking off of what Jorge started with. Um, I thought the biggest blunder of this weekend, and I do not say that lightly, I thought the biggest blunder of this weekend was Shayna Baszler losing to Becky Lynch. And not only did she lose, she lost in a match that went nine minutes. And I know that we gave praise or you guys gave praise to a match going 15 minutes and the latter match going a little bit longer. How on God's green earth, with Shayna Baszler being booked the way she's been booked and Becky's character being booked the way it's been booked for the better part of three months, how on earth can that decision be made that Becky just retains in a nine minute match? The only thing I can think of is that Vince must have seen something from Shayna Baszler, changed his mind and said, nope, you're losing, your push is over. Do we have any thoughts to this? Am I on an island thinking this was a huge mistake, like the biggest mistake
2: of the weekend? Any thoughts on this match is welcome. Um, so I'll, I'll hop in really quickly and I'll go ahead and let Thunderous Wizard take it over from here, but um, you are not on an island. Uh, I'm going to say that about 98% of the WWE Universe is with you on that island, with you going ahead and holding up the, the tiki torches. Um, and, and I'm also going to go ahead and say this. I think uh, everybody, the three of us know that I think I've stated this on a multitude of occasions. I am a big let Becky Lynch mark. Uh, I, I am. I have enjoyed this character of the man for as long as I, as it started back all the way up in August of 2018. I've been on this bandwagon. I haven't jumped off the bandwagon, but I'm also here to tell you that as a professional wrestling fan, there needs to be more evolutions and um, just there needs to the reason why the Attitude Era worked was because there were multiple big names besides Stone Cold Steve Austin. Even though Stone Cold Steve Austin was the biggest one of them all, you still had other people that made it all work. It The, the, the wheels kept on going because Stone Cold Steve Austin had backup. He had The Rock. He had Triple H. He had McFoley. He had Kurt Angle. He had The Undertaker and Kane. He had Vince McMahon. Um, and then you got a chance to see other people get involved in the main event that wouldn't have liter- necessarily always gotten a shot at it Such as the British Bulldog and and of course Shawn Michaels um, not saying that he would that he never got a shot. I'm just saying I forgot to mention him But you guys get my drift The point is the reason why that was so successful was because it had all those people the beginning of the women's evolution was successful was because it had Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair and Sasha Banks and Bayley, and it had Asuka, and then you added Ronda Rousey, and then you had the, 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 the supporting players such as Natalia and such as the Riot Squad, and then Paige came in a little bit after her first initial retirement, and then you got people like Mandy Rose and Sony Deville, and, and all these other women, Lana, all these other women in the background who are still helping Nia Jax um, balance this out. But when you've got one woman who's been running the game for a year straight um, and the character starting to wane a little bit, you know, it, it not because we hate Becky Lynch, but Stone Cold Steve Austin never held the title for more than four months at a time, right? And again, I know Ross hates the comparisons to Stone Cold Steve Austin when it comes to Becky Lynch, but I have to use that comparison for a second because... If Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is arguably the greatest WWE superstar and the greatest professional wrestler to ever lace him up, never held a title for more than four months, then why is the woman that you are trying to compare and make the female version out of doing that? You are risking her losing her popularity and losing the people marking out for her, which by the way, that's already begun. She's in, I believe she's 371 days in. Like, don't get me wrong, Becky Lynch is getting pops, but Becky Lynch isn't getting pops like December 2018 pops. She's defi- she's not getting the pop that she got when she won the Royal Rumble, I'll tell you that. And they have essentially 100% fully put that at risk by making the decision of not putting the most legitimate badass in the female division on in all of professional wrestling right now. That is not named ronda rousey and by the way i've gone on record on a multitude of occasions saying that i genuinely believe that ronda rousey has actually has actually been eclipsed in talent when it comes to the professional wrestling thing by shayna baszler and for it to for for shayna baszler to be the one to lose in the way she did and for this being one of the most hyped up matches on this wrestlemania card to it be the shortest of the main female title matches including the tag team title match it's beyond disrespectful to not only shayna baszler but i mean if you're really gonna make a big deal out of becky lynch becky lynch only performed for nine for nine minutes on a good day at wrestlemania 36 and she's supposed to be the most over female superstar in women's wrestling today like somebody explain that to me
1: Uh, I can't, because it was inexcusable. And here's what I'll say. This this, uh, match, it's the Rocky Three principle. When Rocky was uh, fat and happy, his champion, he was fighting guys that weren't tough enough for him, and he's winning all the time, things got stale. Mm -hmm. So Mickey's protecting him, right? Right. You're at this point, like, her, her popularity has peaked, how do you get the crowd back behind her? Well, here comes the unstoppable force. The unstoppable force destroys her, and all of a sudden, she's the underdog again, working her way back to the title. Why does Rocky 3 work? Because Rocky loses, he has to work his, he loses everything, including his trainer, right? He has to work his way back up. Now that she's beaten her, What's the point? Now, this is a WWE thing. They've made this mistake before. Asuka, undefeated, goes into Mania. At least she got a real match. She loses It killed the character. She never really recovered, at least in my opinion, from that loss. And now you have her lose on a finish, a, a set finish that has happened, I don't know, three or four times in memory that I have, where, the oh, she escaped, yay. It's like, nope, but she won. You've now taken this unbeatable, unstoppable force, and it's gone down and padding. Just like they did it with Strowman when he kept losing. How do you rebuild it? Right? Uh, they make this mistake all the time. They made it with in Saudi Arabia with uh with the fiend. Because if old man Goldberg can't wrestle for over three and a half minutes, can beat the fiend, then why is the fiend scared? Nobody's scared of the axe murderer who dies. And then that's it. Oh, he's not getting back up. It's over. So it was inexcusable. One, because they both can wrestle. So they should have gotten way more time than, say, the opening tag match. And two, it was like, yes, we know that, at least as as fans, we're like, yep, she's going to win. But that's because she was supposed to, and she should have. That's the right thing to do. It not only keeps building her as the dominant heel it reinvigorates becky as the underdog face because honestly she yeah she isn't that interesting anymore but that's the trouble with being the good guy it's really hard to stay interesting as the good guy particularly if you don't lose
2: you have to overcome things that's what makes good guys interesting 100 percent agree with you on that tom and i will say this ross for all the crap he gives Becky Lynch the man character, not Becky Lynch, the wrestler. Because he I, I have to always defend Ross on this. Not that he needs me to defend him, because he's a big boy and he can speak for himself. But Ross does appreciate Becky Lynch, the professional wrestler. He just does not like the man character. And what he has been harping on for f- seven months straight, and actually if you date it all the way back to 2018 when the man character first got its start is what's the game, what's, what's the, what's the game plan? What is the end game, if you will, for an Avengers reference, right? What is the end game with Becky Lynch? And if, if her character starts to wane, how do you uh, figure out how to rebuild this character? Well, by Ross, just like you've said, you have to have her lose at some point and have her, come to a breaking point and then allow her to rebuild herself and get the crowd back behind her again or you run the risk of her having to do the exact same thing that her fiance did and again two different two different scenarios i get that and we touched on that subject on a multitude of occasions and i fully understand it but at the same time you you I mean, what do they want? Do they want the crowd to go ahead and start booing the hell out of the Becky? Because they are that had WrestleMania emanated from Tampa Bay in front of fifteen thousand people, where the Lightning play on that on, on this past Monday night, and Becky Lynch would have walked out with the Raw Women's title. I'm telling you this right now, she would have probably gotten the biggest amount of booze not reserved for Roman Reigns. A- is everybody on this panel in agreement with me?
1: Uh, 100%. I think she's she's getting booed the next night.
2: Ross?
0: Um, it surprises me that she has not been significantly less cheered and or booed for the last few months. Now, I understand that she's going up against you know all these different characters, and they've been and they've been building up this with Shayna pretty much since Survivor Series, if we, we want to go back that far. Um, so you really had to keep her, her as a babyface at that point. Um, but I mean, look, I, with all the different stuff that's been on Twitter with her and Rollins, and her taking out a bag of money and throwing it at people, and just her basically just being this cocky champion that is bored that's not a face, that's a heel oh, I'm beating everybody I make a lot of money, I'm bored how am I supposed to cheer for that person? So I think eventually her turning heel is going to work very effectively, I just think that WWE does this weird thing with their timing, and by the way if if WrestleMania teaches us anything because this happens almost yearly there's always one match that the WWE says, you know what, we're going to do the, everybody wants to do, because people are going to talk about it. They do it every year, and for whatever reason, whether Vince has lost face to Shayna, or this is the match that he just decided, you know what, Shayna winning the title in front of a live crowd would be better, so we're going to save it until we can do it in front of a live crowd, and Becky, and we're just gonna leave it that way. They could have done that with a lot of these matches. I think Vince just chose to do it with this match. I still think it's a blunder. It's a misstep. It kind of took me out of night one for a while. Um, There were a couple other things in night one that I was not a big fan of. Now, for instance, I'm gonna segue into something I like the two of you and most everybody else liked so i really am on an island with this opinion to tom the Thunderous wizard from um hops and box office flops and he's joining us here on the double turn podcast gonna get a quick log for our socials you can find this show on or i should say you can find us on our instagrams the double turn podcast on instagram ross the robot 85 the one and only gmn19 you can also find our show on Podcast, Google Podcast, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, Castbox, there's always one I forget with Anchor.
2: Podcast.
0: Okay, there you go.
1: Tom, do you want to give out your socials and where your show is while we're uh, on this kick? Uh, at well, Hops the Box Office You can find it on Facebook and Twitter at Hops and Vo Flops. Uh, you can find myself on Twitter at Writer T L K. And the
0: podcast is Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. Gadpod yeah, be Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Google it. Use the Google machine. It'll come up. Uh, Wait. Also, also for those of you uh, that have been horrible on Twitter and you're totally valid in your opinion on that, I did live tweet both nights of WrestleMania 36.
2: I'm really I'm proud, proud at of Boss you, Boss Ross
0: TDT on Twitter. Uh, So you can check me out there. Uh, I said I was going to be better about it, and I am pledging to do that. So you can find me on uh, there. Um, I will tell you this right now. I did not like 80% of Rollins versus Owens. Did not like it, and I'll tell you why. So if you're going to watch the match, that we're going to have a DQ finish, Rollins is going to walk up ramp and say, I'm done fighting you. Kevin Owens is going to basically insult him to the point of getting him to fight him. And then from that point, we were going to get a good match. I would have laughed at you and said, why am I wasting my time with the first 80% of the match with a BQ finish? So the problem is that... I watched the first part of this match and I'm like, okay, this is slow and plodding and there's not really much going... Again, this is my opinion. There's not... This is supposed to be like the view that's been going on for a while and like Rollins is this weird character of a messiah that's not really... And Kevin Owens has kind of been stuck in neutral for a while like he's at the point where he's not even using his own finisher anymore like both of these characters to me are lost okay so i went into this match thinking okay as a wrestling mat came into this
2: Hey Ross, right, can you th- this last thought, Can Atlantic. you can you repeat it for us one more time? Unfortunately, we, we you you cut out there mid sentence, and for those of you who are listening to us, of course, we are doing this podcast via Zoom. So because of that, sometimes internet connections cannot be as healthy as we'd like for them to be. So we apologize for any audio difficulties that, that we may have this evening. Um, I'm sorry, Ross. Can I I'd just like all for you to so, repeat that last that last bit one more time? So-
1: Where
0: did I get cut off? I apologize.
2: Um, You were talking about the fact that... Where did I get cut off? You were saying that KO and Rollins to you are a bit lost.
0: Okay. So, the actual characters of KO, who has really no identity, he's using Stone Cold Steve Austin's finisher, and has pretty much been stuck in neutral as a character. Rollins, with the Monday Night Messiah thing, screams of straight edge society... And, it's, and all of its failures. And so I went into this match and said, as a this could be really good. But the story I'm not really buying into, even though the story has been going off and on for a while. And so then I saw the DQ finish and I went,
1: oh,
0: this is a perfect finish to a feud at a match that I would probably not be totally invested in. And then they surprised me. They said, you know what? we're going to restart the match and then we're going to give you the match. We should have given you the first 70% that we just wasted on a DQ finish because that DQ finish, that exact match with a DQ finish could have been done on the raw before WrestleMania. They could have done the exact same thing. They could have said, Oh, well, you don't really want to fight me and then brawl and go into WrestleMania and then have an all out match at WrestleMania. Then... Again, if WrestleMania 36, and I, and I probably didn't mention this before, there are lots of things about WrestleMania 36 that I am never going to forget. I'm never going to forget the Boneyard match. I'm never going to forget the Firefly Funhouse match. I'm never going to forget Drew and Braun Strowman becoming world champions for the first time in this cup. I am never going to forget Kevin Owens jumping off the WrestleMania sign and crashing into Saffron's on the table. Now, I'll also never forget spring flying for the next five minutes after that bump for all the wrong reasons, but that's a moment I'm never going to forget. So if you take that match into two parts and separate it like I just separated it, the match is great. But because it was, well, we're going to waste everybody's time with a BQ finish and then give you this match. Again, another moment that kind of took out of night one. That's kind of a theme I have with night one, which is there were matches that took me out of the moment and took me out of fully investing in the product. If I watch a pay-per-view, I want to be invested. I want to be invested for. Every segment of Raw, every segment of NXT, every segment of SmackDown. I know we're not talking AEW, but I want to be invested when I watch Dynamite. I don't want, in the middle of my show, going, waste my time watching that. Why am I investing my time in this? And that's why this match, to me, initially, even though we got a great match at the very end, which, again, to me, turned out to be a negative. That was a really long-winded answer, and I got cut off in the middle of it because of technology. That's the way it is. So go ahead, Meg. Just
1: did.
2: I'll let you go ahead and hop in here on this, Tom. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the match. Here's what I will say:
1: uh, the false finish to start was silly because the heel doesn't come back. Why does the, Why does the heel need to come back? You want? It's classic heel move. Like, no, I beat you. I'm not coming back.
2: Too. you're the heel where are all your buddies messiah you know? well now I'm gonna hang I'm gonna so go ahead and hop on there for jive, a second there Tom you know? I, I because unfortunately from behind the scenes and this is where this always plays out and it's it's it sucks because it can't be discussed on on-screen things but behind the scenes one of the um the one of the members of aop i know tore his bicep so he's he's out right now i can't can't, yeah and then also if i'm not mistaken and i think ross can attest to this i want to say buddy murphy or murphy excuse me may have either tested positive for covid 19 or was experiencing symptoms so he was not allowed into the pc um for the filming of that. So unfortunately, Murphy was essentially written out um, uh, during the tapings uh, because he was either experiencing some t- sort of symptoms or he was fully under the weather. And obviously if you're under the weather, you're not gonna be allowed to participate. Yeah. So that's the answer to that part. Now,
1: those are just slight criticisms. Yeah. Just from the no, perspective no, it makes sense, it makes sense. Deal. You know, there's got to be some top foolery in in play if you're the heel and you decide to come back for the no-DQ match. Uh, But otherwise, I thought it was a really good match. It's what I expect from those two. I do agree that it's confusing that Owens is now sort of fake stone cold, but not really stone cold. But you're doing his move... uh, and that's your finisher. I don't know. So I am a little confused by that. Rollins to me was one of the surprising ones where it's like, you're just not great without a crowd. Like, wrestling wise, yes, you're great. Your shtick, though, is terrible. But I'm not a big Rollins fan, so there could just be personal bias. But those were my only real hangups. I thought it was a good match.
2: So I. But the
1: false finish basically. Uh... just happened to no DQ. Yeah.
2: You know. I'll I'll hop in here and I I'm not going to bore the two of you because you guys both know how much of a Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens mark I am. Um I see the eyes rolling over there Ross, don't you think? Don't don't think that I can't I believe- see you.
0: <laughs> I believe I've called you on numerous occasions a Seth Rollins apologist so well, go
2: ahead you've named me other apologists, or f- apologists for other things as well so yes that's fine um, but, back
0: down apologist as well yes,
2: yes very much so um, so I'm not going to go ahead and harp on this for too long because I do want to go ahead and get into some things into night two and we're starting to run low on time but I know we can knock this out but I'll just say this I'll tell you why I thought I was actually a really really well told story even though the DQ finish happened in the a little bit because i think it plays back to we talked we talked at the top of the show um discussing the great heel work of of baron corbin where you know obviously he, he he was so just he was such a great piece in his story with elias um and talking smack to michael cole and talking smack to the referee and, and you could really feel it and even though Elias and Corbin is different to K.O. and Seth Rollins in the sense that K.O. and Seth Rollins, when you really think about it, has been going on for five months. It's been going on since the night after Survivor Series. And we tend to forget that 100%. Um, or if you're like me and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this storyline has been going on for this long. Even And you know we can say that because we just saw this happen with Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns. Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns went for four and a half months and it was almost never-ending at least they had matches KO and seth rollins never had a singles match throughout this entire rivalry until we reached night one of wrestlemania i was very disappointed when they went with that dq finish and i was like flabbergasted at the fact that oh my god they really want to have us have one more match and then when they restarted it then i was like oh this actually plays so well into the heel character that Rollins is because he would be that little B-I-T-C-H that would hit the babyface in the face with an actual ring bell and then try and walk away and play it off like, uh, I'm so glad I'm rid of this guy. And of course KO would be the anti-authority type of guy to stand up completely loopy after taking a shot to the head with a ring bell and say, hey, I'm not through with you yet, punk get back in here. We're going to finish this the way we're supposed to finish this. And it took the story that you've been praying to God, it would finally reach this point. It did. And it made you, it made you say, Oh man, that was actually worth the four and a half months worth of storytelling that they were trying to tell us in the last 10 minutes. And it's unfortunate that we had to get to that point. But I think Considering the fact that we never got a one-on-one match between the two in this rivalry uh, You know because I'm obviously we, we can't talk about the 2016 rivalry that they had because it's entirely different to this portion of their rivalry Right, so within this four and a half five month spread. They never had a one-on-one match at least on live television They probably had some at live events, and we didn't see it but we never had that, and we kind of needed to see that because we needed the reason to say, oh, Seth Rollins really is this snively, conniving little mess of a man who would walk out. And then he, in order to prove that he is the Messiah of Monday Night Raw, he would come back just to prove a point, and then we get the right finish to this match. And that's my thoughts on
1: that. That makes sense. So I, I
0: can agree with that. It, so here's so so we'll just we'll just wrap up night one here very quickly and say that um, Tom, you thought night one was the better of the two nights, correct? I did. I, I had a lot of fun with uh, some of these matches. And Jorge. Uh, would you say night one was better than night two or vice versa?
2: Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, again, uh, back to what I said earlier to this evening. From an entertainment standpoint, night one was better. From a wrestling perspective, night two was better. Okay. That's not. Ne- I know that sounds kind of uh, like a cop-out I say, answer.
0: I will say night two had fewer moments that took me out of... In fact, I will almost tell you right now, I don't think night two had any moments that really took me the event. It was three and a half hours, which we're about to get to. To me, night two was a much more appealing show for me as a fan. Now, part of that might be because there were some finishes on night one that bothered me, Mm -hmm. whereas in night two...